Hello, and welcome to Unleash Your Inner Creative with Lauren LaGrasso. I'm Lauren LaGrasso, and this show is meant to help you make creativity the filter for your life, redefine your relationship with fear by taking it out of the driver's seat, step more fully into the essence of who you are, and claim your right to have a dream and take up space. Today's guest can help with all of that, but especially on taking fear out of the driver's seat and claiming your right to have a dream. Her name is Carly Stein. She is a scientist, beekeeper, and an entrepreneur, best known for being the founder and CEO of Beekeepers Naturals and for being named one of Forbes 30 Under 30. I wanted to have Carly on the show for a multitude of reasons, but especially because she has a great story of turning pain into purpose and leaving security for happiness. She started her company from a very personal pain point of her own health struggles and was actually an accidental entrepreneur. At the time when things started taking off, she was working as a trader at Goldman Sachs, which is like one of the most coveted jobs in the world. And she was deeply unhappy. She was depressed. She had pretty much everyone in her life tell her that starting a company with bee products was crazy. But still, she took the leap, followed her heart, and started her company, Beekeepers Naturals. Her story is inspiring to anyone who's ever felt handcuffed to their day job or to a title or even to somebody else's opinion of what their life should be. From our conversation, you'll also learn how to change your personal narrative, strengthen your immune system with bee products, start and build a business, let go of others' opinions and choose yourself, why if you take care of your spiritual life, the rest sometimes falls into place, the advantage of not being an expert, and the difference between power and control. Carly also has some really great tips for type A creatives that I never thought of. They're super practical, so I'm excited for you to hear those too. Now here she is, Carly Stein. You have a fascinating story and I'd love to dive into it a little bit because I watched quite a few podcasts that you did and one of them talked about how this idea really first came into your life, which was when you were studying abroad, you had been dealing with an autoimmune disorder your entire life, which made you not able to take most, almost all antibiotics and you weren't feeling well, and you really didn't want to cut your trip short in Italy. I think you went to a pharmacist, and they prescribed you something called Propolis. Propolis. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. This company comes from a very authentic place. It wasn't a situation where I I saw a hole in the market and thought something would be a strong path I was sick and I was looking to cure myself. And that's where it all came from and how it all started. I am allergic, as you said, to most antibiotics. And I'm also allergic to a lot of ingredients that are in traditional uh, cough syrup and cold and flu remedies. So when I got sick with something like tonsillitis, which I had chronically up until you know my early 20s, I really didn't have any options. And so from a pretty early age, I started searching in the natural world. And I would find a lot of exciting things and a lot of interesting things and some strong science. But then when I went to purchase products, I ended up being really disappointed. There was a lot of stuff that was just really well branded stuff that made a lot of great health claims, and maybe had one or two really cool ingredients, but it just didn't deliver on results. And so I was kind of obsessed with the world of natural wellness, but also really disillusioned as a consumer. And then at the same time, the sort of traditional Western world of OTC remedies was just like not accessible to me at all. I chronically had tonsillitis. It can be really painful. I would have it for you know three weeks at a time. And that continued up until college. And when I was in college, I did a semester abroad. 
Um, and I was in Italy at the time that I got really bad tonsillitis and I was going to have to come home. And I was just like, not this again. I, I always am missing out. I worked my butt off waitressing to afford to be out in Europe. And this was like my big trip and my first kind of big trip on my own. And I just didn't want to cut it short. And so I was looking for anything. So I went into a pharmacy in Florence. I told the pharmacist the long list of everything I'm allergic to, described my symptoms. And she was like, oh, yeah, you need propolis. And I was like, okay, what's that? I've never heard of that. <laughs> it sounds like a spell. Yeah, it, it honestly does. And she's like, you know, from bees. And I was like, oh, so honey. And she's like, no, 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 not honey. Totally different. Propolis. I don't know what you're talking about, but I'll take it. She assured me that I wouldn't have a bad reaction to it. And, you know, I was really willing to try anything at that point. So I purchased this little tincture of propolis. It had Italian writing on it. It had very little information, but I started taking it the way that she suggested. And I, I was using it every day. And in about five days, I made a full recovery. And that was my first recovery experience. And for me, what happened was propolis functioned in my body the way antibiotics do for most people um, and for me without the adverse reaction. So that was my first real experience of like actually recovering in a reasonable amount of time and using something that really worked. And it was really interesting because I had never heard of propolis before and I fancied myself to be quite aware when it came to the world of natural health, but propolis and these more nuanced bee products like royal jelly and pollen, they're just not really common in North America. And so as I was traveling around, one, I was I continued using propolis even after I recovered because I was just really scared of getting sick again. And I was using it to just boost my immune system. And what happened was I didn't get sick again. And I traveled all over Europe and was able to enjoy myself. And then when I was traveling around, I noticed that these different bee products from Royal Jelly to propolis were super commonplace. I would talk to friends from different places and I mentioned the propolis and my friend from Italy, she's like, oh yeah, my grandmother gave me propolis. I've been taking it for years. What are you talking about? This new thing. There was this whole class of supplements that were widely trusted, widely used all across Europe. Again, really not thinking about starting a company. I was just excited to have found my thing and found my cure. And, and I was aggressively researching all these different things and finding that there was meaningful science behind these these different supplements. Humans have a really long-standing history of use with these things as well. It's not new. I mean, the, in the 17th century, in the London Pharmacopedia, propolis was listed as an official drug. So these are kind of like the OG antibiotics and forms of medicine that people were using. I finished up my time abroad, thankfully, and I was very healthy the whole time. And when I came back home to finish up college in Canada, where I'm from, I got sick during midterms because I was like, it's fine. I just need to get my hands on some propolis. So I went to some health food stores and nobody knew what I was talking about. I just couldn't find propolis anywhere. And I finally did find propolis at a farmer's market in Victoria, British Columbia. And it was like $40 organic artisanal, this like beautiful bottle. And I very quickly had a really severe allergic reaction. I was like, oh my gosh, I have it. And I had such a negative reaction to it. And at the time, I was a TA for my chemistry class. And uh, I ran a toxicity panel on the product I'd purchased. What I found out was that even though the propolis I purchased was organic, there was still trace amounts of pesticides. And that got me down this whole rabbit hole of researching the structure of North American beekeeping and the problems inherent in the system. The organic certification just doesn't really hold up when it comes to bees because the bees fly. Just because they live on certified organic land doesn't mean 
they're not going to fly over to the neighbor's yard and pollinate those flowers that are covered in pesticides uh, and bring that back into their end product. If you're going out of your way to purchase a natural product, it should be natural. It shouldn't be exposing you to the very toxins you're trying to detox your body from. And I figured if you want something done right, you have to do it yourself. So I started beekeeping and I started beekeeping in the middle of the woods in Victoria, British Columbia on Vancouver Island, you know, literally the middle of nowhere. So I could make sure that there was no pesticides and bees will forage for a five mile radius. So I was beekeeping and making all my own products and I just completely fell in love with the bees. So what started is just a pursuit of product and trying to feel well became this obsession with these creatures. And I started learning about the integral role they play in our ecosystem and just really falling in love. And then at the same time, I was taking a bunch of chemistry courses. I was a student and I, I had access to my university database and I had access to the lab. So I was really, you know, without realizing it, perfecting a product line using myself as a guinea pig. <laughs> and at the same time, just like learning everything about the bees. And so that was kind of how it all started. Now I can see that all of my allergies and the health challenges I had growing up were really for a reason because I am the ultimate product guinea pig. Because like if I if I don't react to it, then you know it, it you know that it's good. Oh my gosh, so many amazing lessons from that to break down. First of all, I mean, what an incredible story of turning your pain into purpose. I love that you're an accidental entrepreneur, that you followed what felt good. And it really also highlights the importance of travel for creative expression and healing. Obviously, we're at a disadvantage to do that now because of the pandemic, but it's a great reminder that that is such a powerful tool for us. Totally. Such a big thing for me was just even digitally, because we can't travel right now, but exposing yourself to different cultures and perspectives and just understanding bee products and the different medicinal uses across cultures. Looking back, the Incas would drink propolis to get rid of their fever. Like there's just so much you can learn from different perspectives. Wow. Yeah. And I love that you're returning back to something that was sacred and an ancient healing tool for us as human beings. You're like reintroducing it to us in North America, which is much appreciated, especially during these times. I know though you didn't go straight into beekeepers right after college. You went and worked at a hedge fund as a researcher, correct? Mm -hmm. And yeah. during that time, you grew to feel depressed. And that's what I call repressing your creativity. And I say repressed creativity is the cause of so much of the world's suffering. And a big example of that is depression when you're pushing down the life inside you that you know you're meant to live, but you just, you don't feel courageous enough to go for it yet, or you're scared or you feel trapped. Would you give some advice? Well, first of all, like explain what you felt like in that moment and what led you to actually take the leap. And then second, could you give some advice to somebody who's in a similar situation right now? I majorly was repressing my creativity and really just kind of pushing myself to fall in line with a social conception of success versus what I wanted. I was really like just denying what was authentic to me and, and trying to kind of please others. A lot of that came from insecurity. So I, I ended that first part just being like, and now it's led to my career, but it, it wasn't, it was really not easy for me. I, I went through a lot of challenge in getting here. I was making bee products. It was my final year of college. I was starting to share them with friends. And next thing you know, people were Facebook messaging me to purchase bee products out of some chick's dorm room. So I knew that these products were working for a population beyond myself. I knew that there was 
legitimate science. And I, I had done a lot of testing on these products and I'm a pretty good researcher. So I really was thorough in all of that. And I kind of had this little idea of like, you know, maybe I could start a company around this. There's other people who have a lot of allergies and who get sick like I do and who are autoimmune. Beyond that, people you know, want things that are natural. So I kind of had this idea, but I was graduating with negative funds and I had done sciences in my undergrad. I had literally never taken a business course and I just didn't think I could. I thought, you know, running businesses is for other people. I don't have the skill set. I'm not smart enough. I'm not good enough. You know, all of the toxic narrative stuff that you tell yourself. Um, and then I was really lucky to get this fantastic job offer out of college and it was at a hedge fund and I was to join as a biotech researcher. So, you know, applying kind of my sciencey interest to the world of finance. And I was at this hedge fund for about 10 months and I actually really enjoyed research. And then 10 months into that, I was recruited by Goldman Sachs. And I joined Goldman Sachs in 2014 as a trader. Wow. It was a really awesome job in a lot of ways. It was fantastic training for my work ethic. I was in this position where I had this awesome job on paper and I got a lot of sort of positive reinforcement socially. People all of a sudden thought I was smart because I had this job. I could walk into a room and, you know, list the company I worked with. And because that brand is known, people just like automatically thought I was smart. And, and I was used to really having to kind of prove myself and fight for that. So that was a different experience in and of itself. But what ended up happening was I really began to struggle with anxiety. I was working really long hours and more than anything, what affected me was doing something that I didn't care about. I, I, I didn't really enjoy what I was doing. I'm, I didn't feel like I was having impact and I felt like I was kind of going through motions and doing something for the response of others. And I felt completely trapped. I was super unhappy. I did what type A people do when they're unhappy, which is make a spreadsheet about it. And so <laughs> I made the spreadsheet trying to identify the points in time where I was the happiest because I was just, I, I, I was aware that this wasn't sustainable. I was, my anxiety was like really, really bad at that point. And I was struggling with depression as well at that point. What I identified in this spreadsheet of happiness was the things that made me the happiest in the previous five years were beekeeping, working with the bees and building products. And at that time I was living between New York and Toronto, so I couldn't exactly keep bees, but I could order some basic lab equipment and turn my studio apartment into a little science lab. I could purchase some raw bee products from my mentor out in British Columbia, who I learned to beekeep under and make these products. Again, was not thinking about starting a business. I was just like, you know, the same way some of us have a friend or a relative who's really into baking and gives you like the best cookies at Christmas. I'll just be that friend or relative that's really into beekeeping and like gives everyone these homemade weird bee products. <laughs> and I, I was making all these products and I would come home from work exhausted and, and just all of a sudden feel energized knowing that I could go play mad scientist and make these things and use my hands. And, and um, I was sharing them with friends. And one of my girlfriends worked at this company that basically put on pop-ups for small businesses. And she was like, why don't you come have a booth and sell these products? You like, you're always like giving me this weird stuff. Like come, come see of itself. And so I went there and I had a little pop-up booth. I was, you know, a lot of young parents that were really interested in the brand parents who either had, were autoimmune themselves or had a kid struggling with something chronic. I had these long conversations with these different people and shared the products. And 
next thing you know, I was asked to come back and I went to another pop-up and the same people were kind of following me and, and people started sharing their experience. And I was meeting different people that would share these incredible healing stories that were reminiscent of my own experience. And, and I started to kind of slowly build up this community and this consumer base that were really using bee products to heal different ailments in the same way that I was. And it got to a point where I was like, you know what, this stuff is really helping people. It really changed my life. I mean, I went from getting sick at least monthly to never, ever, like very rarely getting sick. And I think this needs to exist in the world. And so I wanted to leave Goldman. I got, I was all ready. And then I started telling some of my friends and family and immediately they were like, oh no, (laughs) you're having a mental breakdown. You want to leave this incredible job that you hardly deserve in the first place to start a bee product company. That sounds completely insane. And so it was six months of that, of me kind of telling people in a very timid way what I wanted Mm -hmm. and just being like shut down. Um, And I was really scared. I was early in my career, so I didn't have a huge amount of savings. What, 25 when this is happening? I, yeah, I was like 25, 26. Okay. Yeah. So very young. I mean, like, especially before you cross that hump into being like 27, I feel like 27, 28 is when you start to be like, wait, I don't have to just listen to what other people say to me. So you're doing that before that, I think, pivotal moment comes. And it's even harder as a woman to listen to yourself at that age because, I don't know, my personal experience is I let a lot of other people tell me what was good for me up until a certain point when I got mad as hell. And I was like, you know what? I know myself. Mm -hmm. I know what's right for my life. And I'm going to make this choice regardless of what you think. But I just want to commend you. Like That was really bold at such a young age to be able to stand in your truth when you're getting all this feedback that what you're doing is insane. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. It was really hard. And I was, you know, I was already in a position in my career where I was very much the odd woman out. I mean, I was a trader at a large bank. There are very few female traders. I was one of the few junior females. I was in a really aggressive environment um, where I would get yelled at a lot and it was just very intense. And again, it was epic work ethic training. Um, And there was a lot of good that came out of that experience, a lot of sort of silver linings in that world generally, if you can find them. But I was in a really rough environment. And again, like my mental health was not in a great place. And then going to all the people who I looked to for mentorship and who I really thought were smart and hearing over like overwhelming no's. And I think, you know, had I said something that was like more familiar to people if I was like, oh yeah, I want to leave Goldman to start a clean beauty concept or a fintech app or something that was just, you know, a little bit more common, I would have had a different reaction. But when you say, yeah, I'm leaving to start a B product company and people are like, oh, so honey. And I was like, yeah, there's also going to be no honey. So it's actually not honey. People are like, (laughs) what are you talking about? Like, just go back to work. I had a lot of people just kind of tell me I can't and tell me that it was a bad idea, that I have no idea what I'm doing. I'm in over my head. I'm going to lose all my money. I actually had one mentor at Goldman who I really looked up to tell me that this path would lead me back to my parents' basement. And, you know, at, at 25 well, or- trying to keep you there. I hate to say it, but, but um, yeah, you know, and maybe they genuinely felt they were looking out for you, but ultimately- when when we have people who are in power roles in the positions where we're holding ourselves back from what our dream is, we have to realize that while they may have our best intentions at heart in their own mind, 
it benefits them for you to stay where you are. Totally. And I think also it, it in that situation, it pushes somebody to think about the things they've spent so long justifying. Like, mm-hmm. you know, what does it mean for him who's given his whole career to something that maybe he isn't passionate about? If I, as a young person, say no and, and reject that and choose creation over money and, you know, make these different choices and he's created right. this whole worldview. And like the second I step out of it, I'm rattling everything that he's said you and have spent to time telling himself is right. Right. Yeah. He would have to confront his lifeline. And that's a big ask. That's a really good lesson. So when you're getting all this negative feedback, how did you stand your ground, own who you really were, and then move toward what you knew was correct? I'm still so shocked that I was able to do it looking back at the stage I was at. I mean, now I am so actively doing self-work all the time and addressing, you know, all kinds of narratives and patterns and um, constantly working on my confidence. But at that time, I was not even aware of that sort of work. I, I just, I felt that everyone deserves to be happy. And mm-hmm. I really was not happy. And I was going down a road where I was going to get less and less happy, frankly. Ultimately, what it came down to, because I didn't have really anybody who was supporting my idea, was changing my personal narrative. And it really started with just questioning it. I I was constantly telling myself, I can't start a business. I don't know how to start a business. I'm not smart enough to start a business. And then I was like, okay, but what if I am? Like, what if there's just a 5% chance that what I'm telling myself is wrong? And I kept fueling that and questioning the stories I was telling myself. And you start to kind of poke holes in it. And then it becomes like, what if I'm wrong? To What if actually everything went really right? What would that look like? Pushing myself to start thinking in that way. And I slowly was able to change my narrative and push myself to go for something. And then ultimately as well, it was like, you know what? I can stomach this risk. This is a risk I can take right now. I'm young enough that if I lose everything, I haven't been in the workforce that long. And I trust myself to have my own back. And it, it just, it, I really had to build that personal trust and rely on myself to be my own support system and, and build my confidence in that way. Mm. And it took me about six months. It was like six months of conversations that basically made me feel like shit and me having to really work on how I respond to them and how I talk to myself. That was also the start of kind of my, my personal growth journey, I think, but really just changing the way that I talk to myself and, and questioning all of the, the negative things that we put on ourselves that I think in a lot of cases aren't ours. Yeah. And so you were going through that and that's kind of like this big, deep life thing in addition to the anxiety and depression you were feeling. How did you also tend to your mental health and self-care as you were making that huge decision? That was really hard. And I didn't at that time in my life, I didn't have the tools. So now I have like so many self-care mental health tools and I can identify when I'm entering the anxiety vortex and all that stuff. (laughs) But at that time, I really didn't have any of the tools. And so I think it was, I mean, that's not true. I I was doing yoga a lot. And I think I found I, I was starting to find a meditation practice. But it was really hard. That was a time in my life where I really wasn't sleeping. And I think the thing carrying me was this idea that it could be different. Yeah, it was really hope. It was really hope. And I, I what I basically had to do, because I didn't even fully trust myself. I didn't trust myself to get the job done to make this company happen. I really had no idea what I was doing, but I made a decision to just trust the universe, which sounds kind of woo-woo, but 
I think when you surrender to something and you, you can take the pressure off even a tiny bit and you can just let yourself start doing, start making motions, start pushing forward. Um, that is kind of everything. And it, it's really just taking the barriers and letting yourself start responding and moving and, and that builds on itself. And so I think I, I took the barriers off in that way. I was really like the stuff that helped me was changing my personal narrative, which started to really impact my anxiety. I think it was hope that brought me out of depression. I started to see a path forward that could look different. I started to feel empowered, just taking my power back and saying, what if it's not? What if I can change this? What if my life looks different? What if my life you know, could look exactly how I wanted it to? And just those kind of seeds of change helped me to shift a story inside me that ultimately really helps with the mental health stuff. And then finding little tools, finding, rereading The Alchemist, finding books, finding, creating a yoga practice, little things that even for brief moments could take me out of myself, take me out of this focus on what's next and what's going to happen and the predictable future and where I'm going, just creating some space between all of these intense thoughts. That was really the self-care that I needed and, and what I needed to support that shift. Mm-hmm. Those are great tools. You said you really committed to trusting the universe, which is incredible and important. I think sometimes we need some semblance of a foundation in place in order to put that trust. Like the good thing for you is you already knew you had these viable products. And so you had that foundation so that if you just trusted and put your attention into those products and put your love into them, that you knew that people would like them because they'd already shown an interest in them. And there was a there was a value proposition there, right? What do you think one must have in place in order to take that leap of faith and trust the universe? Would you say having that sort of thing down where you at least know exactly how the business function is like a bare minimum? I think so. I think just having a plan and it doesn't have to be a good plan and it can be it can be <laughs> multiple spreadsheets and and docs or it can be like a bunch like five bullets on a page, but you need to have a plan because you do need some place to start and the plan can totally shift. I think sometimes people put a lot of pressure on what the plan has to be and then they don't even start because they need to perfect the plan before they start. I I don't think that's the case at all. It can be like the worst plan ever. It just has to be something to guide you and something you can hold on to. And so I think for me, I had a little bit in a lot of ways I had a clear path because yeah, as you said, like I had something that worked for me that other people were giving me really positive feedback on that you know, there was science behind it. But in other ways, I had no plan. Like, yes, I worked in finance, which was supportive in certain ways, but I had no idea how to build a business. I had no idea where to find investors or how to talk to them or what that looks like. But what I did was I I literally did some like Google searching and I read about other people's experiences and just basically took whatever resources I can find and I made a plan. And it was a really bad plan. But it was enough to get me moving. Um, and I, yeah. I really think that's just what people need. Yeah. And at the time, you didn't know it was a bad plan, right? I think that's one of the beauty things. I was I wrote down a question while you're talking and I said, what have been the advantages of not being a part of the business world? What were some of the advantages of you not knowing? So many. And I mean, 
I, I had the same experience in the finance world. I was one of the few people on my team without an MBA. There are so many advantages to coming at it. Just focusing on having an open mind and really coming in with a willingness to learn is everything. It continues to be everything for me. I'm constantly learning from my team, my investors, people I talk to, and just really having an open mind. And there's so much benefit to not knowing because you just become way more receptive information versus thinking that you have the answers. I think that's really when people get into trouble, when they think that they have the answers to everything. And also thinking you have the answers to everything is, is boring. It feels safe and it feels comfortable in a lot of ways. And I think that's something that I used to really strive for. But now I, I strive to be in a situation where I'm, I constantly know the least. You know, I went from really wanting to be the smartest person in the room and have all the answers and feel safe in that and secure in that and secure in how other people would perceive me as like the girl with the answers and the girl who's done her homework to being really comfortable not knowing anything and surrounding myself with people who are much better than me and smarter than me and know more than I do because that's such an opportunity for me to grow and learn and me coming at it from a very different perspective or experience allows me to see things that sometimes experts can't. How did you get to a place where, because, you know, that's something I've been thinking about a lot. I think the term good girl holds so many of us back in life and perfectionist, all these different words that we put on ourselves that end us mm -hmm. end up chokeholding us and keeping us from really getting better and allowing for life to happen. How have you worked through those terms in your life? Like, I know you just mentioned some things, but what are some like tactical things you did to release the chokehold of perfectionism and really start being present in the moment and allowing for the best people to come in and help you? I love this question because this is such a thing for me. I think really it's a perspective shift. And for me, the specific shift that I had to make and have to continue making and reminding myself is that there is no label that can define me and there is no label that can define any of us. In every moment, we have optionality. In every moment, we get to choose how we respond. And there's this real difference between power and control. And I think that I used to, and if I'm not careful, can really move towards wanting to control things to keep them safe, to control my situation, to have all the answers. Um, but control is really an illusion. Control actually is what removes your power. Power is, is sitting there at the bottom of the hill, knowing that like stuff is going to roll down and hit you in the face. And it's that split second before it hits you in the face where you choose how you're going to respond to it. So power is letting things come at you, knowing that a lot of the stuff that comes at you is going to be hard and it might hurt and you have no idea what it's going to be, but knowing that in that moment, you have freedom to choose how you respond to it. And mm. so for me, just moving from moving away from control and definition and putting things in neat boxes that allow me to have this like stagnant construct of who I am moving away from that and being like, I am a completely different person in every moment. I can change my opinion. I can fuck up in one moment and then do something great in the next. And just the freedom to be a different person and knowing that, you know, what I am grateful for and what I need to focus on is the fact that I have that freedom to choose how I respond to the world. I have no control with how the world's going to respond to me, but I control how I respond to the world. And it just focusing on that, it's really liberating. It allows you to be different things in different moments and change your opinion and change your perspective and be really receptive to learning and let go of these really limiting 
ideas about who you are, whether it's good girl or bad girl or good student or bad student. Like these are all just limiting things. We're constantly changing and growing and you want to be in a state where you're constantly growing. So saying you're any one thing is just not true because who you were last year or 10 years ago or in the last moment is not who you are in this moment. Yes. A fucking men. I love that. Yeah. And the difference between power and control, that is so powerful. I've never heard anyone put it that way. That's really – I'm going to sit with that one all day and probably for the rest of my life. Um, <laughs> so wait. Okay. I want to know. So once you actually left, you took the leap, you're like selling your products. What did that look like? I know we don't have a ton of time left, but I'm just curious how you went from like, okay, I'm going to get out here and sell Propolis mm-hmm. to now you have this amazing company in your Forbes 30 under 30. What was that trajectory? It, it looked like a lot of things. So first thing was <laughs> making a plan. And um, the first thing was like literally Googling how to make a business plan. Like all of these things I just Googled. I, I spent a lot of time reading different books on business, venture capital, that sort of thing. Just familiarizing myself because I had literally no idea what anything was. So that was the first thing I made a plan. I can now see that it was a bad plan, but there's no bad plan because it got me where it got me from point A to point B and I would have stayed stuck. And the second thing was giving up my apartment, taking all my savings and putting it into basically purchasing raw product and finding co-packers. And so I moved in my best friend, thank God for Adam. I slept on his couch for almost a year. And then I slept on different friends' couches. I literally couldn't pay rent. You know, that's not the way you have to do it. It's just the way I did it at the start when I was bootstrapping and following that plan. And then I realized very quickly that this wasn't sustainable and I needed to buy food. So I needed to raise money for the company. I had no idea how to do that. So again, I just, I turned to the internet, I turned to books and it it talks a lot about a friend and family round. So, you know, in my case, I didn't have friends or family who I could really reach out to who were, you know, looking to invest. Uh, But I did know some people from my previous time in the workforce. And then I also just did a lot of Googling and found people who are angel investors and saw that on their LinkedIn and did cold reach outs. And so, you know, it's going to people who are in a position to give money to support these kind of ideas and be a part of it. And I started doing cold reach outs and emailing. And after some time, I was able to put together a round. And then I had, you know, some actual money to start the business. I had one of my best friends who is a former M&A lawyer quit his job and join my team. He's now our COO, Daniel, he's incredible and probably, you know, one of the best decisions I've ever made as a CEO was, was having Daniel Miller join me, finding really smart people around you who are smart and have a different type of intelligence than you have and can fill in your blind spots and have a really complimentary skill set. And then it was, it's really just been continuing to do that, continuing to find really smart people who have a completely different skill set, perspective, life experience than I do, asking them to join my team. Um, and building the company in that way. And so that's an extreme Cliff Notes version, but that is really how I got there. It was having a plan in place, surrounding myself with people who were smart in different ways than I am and I was and had very different skill sets. And then I think the biggest muscle to strengthen for entrepreneurship is resilience. So I got really good at being bad at stuff. Uh, And that was that was everything because even for me now and and the structure changes as the company grows and enters different phases, but 
I basically completely change my job every six months. What I do as CEO now is I get really good at something. And then I feel like right when I get good at it, right when I get really good at it, it's okay, now let's hire someone who's like even better. And then we find someone to join the team and, and pass that along. And you know, that's not the case with everything, but often it is. And so I think the one thing I really want to encourage people, and this has affected me in every area of my life, is just building emotional resilience, getting really comfortable being bad at something and having a growth mindset where bad at something doesn't mean you shouldn't do it. It means like, cool, I get to learn and improve. And there are certain points where it's time to bring on somebody who's even better than you at it, but you should never shy away from things that you're bad at. If I had shied away from things I was bad at, I would not have a company because I'm bad at a lot of things. So those are really kind of cliff notes, how I got from point A to point B. We talk about it a lot on the show, and I call it the art of being bad at something. It's like committing to that painful process of when you take a step and you fall down and you get back up. And uh, mm -hmm. I really appreciate somebody as successful as you saying that because it's important for people to hear that no matter what level you're at, you got to keep recommitting. So I did mention you were on the Forbes 30 under 30 list in 2019. You know, I, I really... I don't relate to this in that I was on the Forbes 30 under 30. That's like an incredible life accomplishment. But I relate to it in that I recently was featured in People magazine. And I had an interesting experience with that where like I was featured in it and I was like, yes, this amazing moment. And then like the next day, it was a normal day again. And I think like sometimes it's easy to like put these accomplishments in like ivory towers and think it will, you know, be this thing that will change our lives. And sometimes it does. But anyway, I, I'm I'm like going far out and in, into a different direction. Basically, what I want to ask is, are you able to look at these achievements and enjoy them, but then let them go? Or do you continue chasing the feeling after they happen? Time for Diet Coke break. Yes, yes, yes. Da -da 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 -da. <laughs> I really need it up. Love what you love. Diet Coke. Get runway ready. A chance to win the ultimate shopping experience plus hundreds of prizes curated by Cape Moss. Promo packs in store, 18 plus, T's and C's. Visit coke.co.uk slash break. So I actually do a thing where I'm like, I'll be happy when. I'll be happy when yeah, I get this. Same. I'll be happy when the company's here. And that is a trap because when you get those things, life is no different, like in many cases. And the trick is you have to enjoy the journey. That's really what it's about. And I speak to so many entrepreneurs and people who've had success and they're always like, yeah, you, you need to be happy on the journey because that's the fun part. There's always something else to chase. And you can always just find something to be after. And, and it's really about acknowledging, yeah, I have goals. I definitely want to get here. But in this moment, what am I doing that fills me up? What kind of impact am I having? And so for me, when I got the Forbes 30 under 30, it was an instant, cool, awesome. Okay, now what's next? Right, <laughs> like exactly. Was, you know, almost to a point where I didn't celebrate it at all. And, and now that's something that I try to do is just really take the time to celebrate moments and the, these moments that that being on Forbes 30 under 30, it's like an award or recognition that I got, but it really had so much to do with the people around me who supported me there. You know, taking those moments and making them shared moments and moments of connection. And that is what's memorable. But yeah, it's really about acknowledging that there's always something else to chase. 
And the trick is to be happy with nothing, to be happy as you are and with what you're doing. Um, and if you're happy along the way, then that's kind of everything. I read this book so long ago, I don't even really remember it, but it was called The Second Mountain. And it was about people who had chased success and found major success. And then once they're there, they're like, okay, cool, I'm rich now, but I'm not happy. And then the, the next thing that they start seeking is like spirituality and enlightenment. And it's like, what if you flip that? Or what if you just change that structure and you seek personal fulfillment and impact and connection um, and enlightenment through those things? And then from there, you see what you want, whether it's money or friends or good things or things that are considered good or bad or whatever they are. I think the goal for me, at least now, just to, having achieved some things and have had them really not have any impact on my mental health. The goal is for me to just get as close as I can to what my definition is of enlightenment and self-actualization. And it's really for me about self-love and feeling like I have impact. Those are the things that fill me up. And so for me, it's about like striving to have those be a part of my journey and a part of my experience. And then the outcome, whatever happens with this company, whatever happens with the goals that I'm trying to hit is okay. Right. It's so difficult to actually commit to that in, from a pure place. Like sometimes I find myself wanting to commit to that so that I can further achieve success. And so then you have to totally. talk yourself off of another ledge. Like, no, you're doing this because you're a soul and you want to get better and you want to evolve. And it's not about the outcome of it. It's about the process. But you know, I think these kind of things, our conversations will continue to have with ourselves until our last days because that's just how it works. It's not like you like put a token 100%. in the machine and then you're done. Oh yeah. I, I'm constantly having those conversations with myself. <laughs> oh yeah. It's like, a, it's like a constant like monologue dialogue. I have lots of fights with myself in the shower. It's very fun. You also have had to really pivot your business during the pandemic. What has that looked like for you? And what's your advice to other people who are working on doing the same? The biggest thing I think um, that's been supportive for my business is the community that we have. And um, we literally build products directly for the people who are to enjoy them. And so I think a big thing I would recommend through this is just honesty. And for companies generally, I think we're at a place in the world where people want to have impact with their dollars. Um, and people want to really have more insight. The days of this big organization that sort of all kind of black box, I think, I hope are really done. I think companies need to hold themselves to a really good example in so many different ways because they're making products for people in the world and they need to really acknowledge that. But I think something that's really carried us is complete transparency. We make a product that supports people's immune health and there's a pandemic happening right now. So we were like, we all of a sudden had a crazy spike in sales at a time of the year that we you know, weren't forecasting that kind of spike. And we were backordered and being really transparent right away, reaching out to our customer base who was waiting for their orders and being like, look, we're a small company. Our team is working really hard to get you the products that you need to support your health so that you can you know, feel safe and have all of your tools to help you during this time. And we weren't ready for this. We weren't prepared. Next time we'll be more prepared and we're learning from this. And we are going to get you your order and it's going to be a week late. And we also were like, if it's if this is not a timeline that's going to work for you, we'll give you your money back. And people were really receptive and understanding. And so I think transparency, building that community around your your products and around your company and, and just having that that real feedback loop with your customer base are 
my biggest kind of tips to navigate any challenging landscape. Which of your products, I thank you so much, by the way, you and your wonderful PR person sent me some incredible products that you make. I feel so much better today. I only slept four hours last night, but I swear after I took that you have one for brain health. Oh, the Belixir Yeah, shots. I took that. I took <laughs> seven sprays of propolis. It's, it recommends four, but I wanted a little pep in my step. And then I took a spoonful of your incredible honey and I think it's royal jelly mixed together. Yep. The bee power. Yeah, it, your products are absolutely incredible. Which one, if you had to pick one for a creative out there who is feeling all the effects of what's going on in the earth right now, which one would you suggest to them most? Okay, so I'm going to cheat and give you two because these are two really different things. So propolis, generally for immune health. I spray propolis, I probably do 10 sprays a day. Oh, good. You know, you can do anywhere like three to five. I personally do 10, but I use that. I honestly would be sick all the time and have really bad allergies if it weren't for that product. So for me, that's just like daily functioning. It's also a really protective product. It's anti-inflammatory, antibacterial, antiviral. It's full of antioxidants. It's something that is like my silver bullet or like my bodyguard in a, bo- in a bottle. It's really what I use to protect myself. Um, again, really helpful for me with allergies because it, it actually reduces the histamine response. Super anti-inflammatory. It's good for gut health. And then ultimately just amazing effects on the immune system. It really does help me to, to not get sick, particularly during cold and flu season. And it's something that I've been relying on in a big way right now. And then the other one that I want to recommend specifically for creatives, because you, you said you slept for four hours and instantly I was like, oh, Belixir. So Belixir Brain Fuel, it's a brain shot. It's caffeine-free, refined sugar-free. All of our products are refined sugar-free and don't have any of those kinds of chemicals. But the Belixir Brain Shots, they have royal jelly in them, which comes from the beehive and has profound impact on the brain. It's actually really high in acetylcholine, so it helps to support your transmission system. And it contains these two fatty acids called AMPN1 oxide and 10-HDA which acts as catalyst for neurogenesis. I'm going to stop getting super science right now because I'm putting people to sleep. Belixir Brain Fuel is a really great way to support your energy levels and really hack productivity. I use that usually mid-afternoon every day I take a shot and I find that it really helps to turn the light on, clear away the brain fog, get you in the zone. Uh, and then it's at the same time something that is really supportive for overall brain health, helps with long-term memory, reduces inflammation, So that's a really awesome tool for creatives. Oh my gosh. I got to tell you, I feel a million times better than I did all morning. I took it around noon. I'm I'm in Eastern time right now and it totally turned things around for me. So I highly recommend it. It's an incredible product. We actually have a bunch of practitioners. At the start of COVID, we, we did this kind of discount thing just to support people who are on the front lines. And so we made this discount for medical professionals. And then we, we've ended up extending it to people who work in grocery stores and basically essential service workers. But we have had thousands of ICU doctors and nurses send us emails being like, hey, I've been working a 12-hour shift. I took this Belixir. It's like literally saving me. So that's just been really cool as well to, and using the propolis as well has been really interesting, but it's just been really interesting. Like I think this, what happened with this discount code that we issued for medical professionals, certain hospitals, their HR department actually caught wind of it and then gave it to the entire staff. And we've seen that happen with about four different hospitals. And it's really cool because it's these people who are deeply entrenched in the Western medicine system and 
rightfully skeptical of natural supplements and natural products, just using these different products and using them in a very practical way to support their immune health and support their energy levels and keep their kind of brain switched on in really intense environments. And then they're giving us like really long, incredible feedback, but it's been really cool to see just the different practical applications of these products and particularly how they can support people during a really stressful time. So the Propolis and the Belixir have been huge for me. They're probably our most ordered by healthcare workers. And yeah, you really do feel the difference. And that's what the company's all about. We're really trying to reinvent the medicine cabinet so nobody has to make compromises. So you can have supplements and, and medicine that has clean ingredients that you understand that come from the earth, that have a positive impact, sustainably sourced, and really get the job done health-wise, really you know, help you to have stronger energy levels and better brain health and support your immune system and not get sick and do all the things, but without any compromises. It, yeah, they're amazing. Okay, Carly, final question. I believe creativity is deeply connected to the inner child. And so I wonder if you and young Carly, whatever age you picture her as, we're standing in the same room looking at each other. She's looking at adult. You're looking at young Carly. What do you think she would say to you and why? I think she would say, I'm really proud of the work you're doing on yourself. And the reason is because little Carly had a lot of expectations placed on her and was quick to take those on. And as an adult, I've really worked and continue to work to shed those layers and find what fills me up and lead a life where my focus and my intention is around impact. And, and yeah, I really had a lot of kind of things placed on me and ideas about what I should be and, and what good is and what bad is uh, that just weren't mine. And it, it's hard to let go of those kind of things when they're, you know, we're, we're just trying to survive as kids. Um, we can really consume other people's ideas of what good and bad is and what a successful life or a versus unsuccessful life looks like. And I think it's about finding your own voice and understanding how you can give the most to the world that's in a way that's authentic to you. And, and you know, I'm certainly not there yet, but I'm working really hard to stay on that path. And so I think little me would just say I'm proud of you for striving towards that. And what would you say to her and why? I would say that you're good enough and you're worthy and that we're all just as humans on this planet inherently worthy of love and you don't need to do things or be things or get things to earn that love. You are just love and it comes from inside you. Carly, thank you for your time, your uh, energy, your wonderful answers and for these amazing products you've made. Really grateful. Can't wait to see what you do next. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening and thank you to my guest, Carly Stein. For more info on Beekeepers Naturals, follow them at beekeepers underscore naturals on Instagram and check out their website, beekeepersnaturals.com. I highly recommend their products, especially the Propolis and the Bee Lixer Brain Fuel. Really great stuff. You can also follow Carly's personal Instagram at stein.com. 
Carly. Thanks to Liz Full for the show's theme music. Follow her at Liz Full. And again, thank you. If you like what you heard today, remember to rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. Follow the show on Spotify. Share the show with a friend and post about it on social media, especially on your story. Tag me at Lauren LaGrasso and at Unleash Your Inner Creative, and I will repost to share my gratitude and to give you a little shout out. My wish for you this week is that you're able to own your power and let go of the need to control and that we can all focus on our personal and spiritual growth first. It leads to everything else beautiful in life. And I need to remember that too. It's tough, but it's just so true. All right. Have a great week. Talk with you Friday for the creative check-in. I love you and I believe in you.